First pitch into right field on a line right at Grossman. That ball was hit well, and the Sox will fall a run short in Detroit this July 4th. The call on NBC Sports Chicago as the Sox drop one to the Detroit Tigers. Rami Makhlouf with you on 670. The score on a Monday afternoon. Hope you're all either still enjoying or recovering from your 4th of July weekend. Going to talk some NBA Finals with Jim Ozarski of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel coming up at 2.20 as they get set to tip off Bucks and Suns tomorrow. But joining us right now to talk about those White Sox and kind of continue the conversation we were having last segment. You hear him on the Sox Machine podcast. Pleasure to welcome in now Josh Nelson. Josh, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well, Rami. You had quite the party there in uh, Milwaukee this past weekend. <laughs> yeah, you saw that, huh? Oh, I did. I, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I, I got a lot of friends right now over my Facebook. It's like, fear the deer, and it's like, wow, it's come so far from Ben Baker and Glenn I, uh, Robinson, that the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA Finals. I am not proud of my actions that people can see. <laughs> At Rami is tweeting on Twitter. That's R-A-M-I-E is tweeting. I don't know what happened, Josh. I am not, I'm a guy who does not take his shirt off in public since he brought it up. I do not take, I, I don't have the confidence or, or the body positivity <laughs> to do that. But my guy, Bart Winkler, who hosts the morning show here on 1250 yeah. AM, the fan where I host the afternoon show, he has a propensity to take his shirt off when he's happy. And he was with me that night and I don't, the bucks won the, the bucks won the Eastern conference championship. And I, he just, all he had to say was we need the shirt off, take the shirt off. And I was like Hulk Hogan. It was it just came right off. There was a champagne shower. It was it was madness. And I, I don't even know what happened, Josh. I, I I can't be held accountable for anything that took place on Saturday night. Well, I gotta say the White Sox will be visiting Milwaukee. There's a bunch of us that'll be making our way there. So maybe some White Sox fans will do what you do and uh take their shirts off after the White Sox win on Saturday. I hope I don't take mine off again, but that's that's a discussion for, for another day. Let's talk about this Sox team and, and I was talking yeah. before the break about the, the tweet that, that you, you, you shot out yesterday and I saw yeah. it and it got me to thinking about Lucas Giolito with the spin rates being way, way down since Major League Baseball started this crackdown on the sticky stuff. I assume, just just based on the tweet, you're looking at him with the same side-eye that, that I'm looking at him with right now, Josh. What makes a villain great is that if they are right with their morals or their uh, objections, and uh, I have to say that Josh Donaldson is right, White Sox fans. The RPM drop is very noticeable since June 20th for Lucas Giolito. And in his post-game press conference, I think he understands that he can't get away living in the middle of the zone if these are the quality of pitches that he's going to be throwing without using whatever he was using before June 20th. Uh, the curveball spin rate, he barely throws that pitch, but that's 500 RPMs below uh, normal that he was throwing before June 20th. His fastball RPM is below 200 RPMs now. His slider RPM is about 250 RPMs off before June 20th. These are incredibly noticeable, and they have been consistent over the last three starts. So you can't ignore this. 
Now, for Giolito, you got the entire second half of the season. You have to work with pitching coach Ethan Katz to overcome this. And Giolito said that the next time he goes out, he wants to focus better on command. He can't live in the middle of the zone. I agree with him. Uh, so he's got to live either on the inside corner or the outside corner. His changeup likes to fade in into the right-handed hitter. So when you watch Giolito throw the changeup against righties in his next start, it has to hit the inside corner. It has to jam them. And his fastball has to live at the top of the zone, or he needs to locate it on the outside corner away from the hitter so they can't barrel it up as easily as they have. Because in his first two starts after June 20th, they were good, not great, but they were good. This last start against Detroit, it was really bad. I mean, he gave up 10 hits, which was the combined amount of hits that he allowed in his previous two starts. He gave up uh, five, six runs, which equal to the amount that he gave up in his previous two starts. He knows it was a bad start yesterday. Pitchers have bad starts uh, throughout the season. So we'll see on how Giulio recovers, but he needs to make an adjustment. The, I guess the positive is that he's not the only pitcher. Boy, if we were in New York, Rami, we'd be talking <laughs> about Garrett Cole. Right. Uh, Garrett Cole has had drastic drops. Uh, since June 20th. So there, there's a huge collection of pitchers right now scratching their head, looking themselves in the mirror, and trying to figure out what adjustments that they have to make in the second half. And it's just not Giolito. It's also Dylan Cease, who is on the mound tonight. And uh, Cease has had just the same types of drops as Giolito has had since June 20th. So I'm curious to see on how Cease adjusts for this start tonight against the Twins. And whether we're talking about Giolito or Garrett Cole or Dylan Cease or anybody else, and whether we're talking about spin rates being down or or traditional production being down or or so, some combination thereof, is it is it unfair? Are we all looking at this through the prism of of the idea that this this crackdown on sticky substances is is front of mind right now? So every time we see a pitcher stumble, we're going, oh oh oh, was that was that guy doing it? Is that is that fair of us to do, Josh, or, or did, did Major League Baseball and did pitchers put themselves in this position by letting this thing run so rampant for so long? Well, I think the question for me is, can you still be effective after the crackdown? Because when I look at data for Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon, there is nothing noticeable. I mean, they still remain consistent after June 20th, which suggests to me they weren't using anything to aid as far as their pitches. Uh, so, again, it's not everyone, but, but for the, you know, the difficult questions that Lucas Giolito has to answer is, okay, what is the result of this RPM drop? He may not answer that question truthfully, uh, which is fine. That's his prerogative. But moving forward, if you're going to continue to believe and make everyone else believe in the media and White Sox fans that you were – Still the guy in 2019 and 2020 that was the staff ace of the Chicago White Sox, he clearly needs to make an adjustment uh, because the quality of his pitches that he's throwing are not at the same level that they were before the June 20th crackdown. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I, these are really tough questions that many starting pitchers in Major League Baseball have to answer, and the only way that they can prove that they can go back to the way that they have performed uh, without using any other substances is prove it on the field. Uh, he can say whatever he wants to say. We can continue to analyze or maybe sometimes overanalyze what we're seeing 
with the pitch data. But until Giolito makes the necessary adjustments to get the results that he's aiming for, uh, which is someone that can go six or seven innings, someone that can strike out 10 per nine or even greater than that. I mean, his strikeout rate is down 5%, Ronnie, from 2020 right. to 2021. That's significant. Uh, so we, those are the things we're going to have to see if Giolito can overcome. But with Giolito, I do have confidence because he was the worst pitcher in the American League in 2018. He made the necessary adjustments to get to the level that he is today. So I have confidence that he can figure out how to overcome this. We just need to see it. Talking with Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine podcast here on 670 The Score. Rami Makloff with you on a Monday afternoon. A bigger a bigger picture question, I think, begs to be answered when we, when we talk about this, Josh, which is that I would think with spin rates and, and velocity going down across Major League Baseball because of this crackdown and sticky stuff, you're going to see offensive production go up. And I think you're going to see pitching numbers as a whole go go down. And, and so do we have to recalibrate what we what we consider a good pitcher in this league? Should we expect an uptick in, in ERAs and whip and, and all the all the other statistics that we look at as we watch spin rates across Major League Baseball go down? Well, if we don't, I think front offices definitely are. Uh, as we get closer to the trade deadline, uh, they're probably doing the same thing that we're doing, going to Baseball Savant, doing a mass data download, and see, all right, who's been impacted the most? If, if a pitcher that we're targeting before the deadline isn't throwing uh, the same type of RPMs before June 20th, uh, do we still want this guy? Uh, I think those are the types of questions that teams are going to be asking themselves. And, yeah, we there's ebbs and flows with every season, and you never know. Major League Baseball could also just change the baseball during the All-Star break. That would be another <laughs> wrench in the process. I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, that's the thing about Major League Baseball. It keeps you on your toes. And sometimes it's slow to adjust, and you wonder, wow, what is this turnaround all about? And then there are really smart people that dig into the data, and then they find something that's been happening for a month, and then we have to readjust our site. So, I agree with you. In a month, we may have to lower the bar when it comes to saying what is a quote-unquote good pitcher, and we may have to rise the bar, or I should say raise the bar off the floor for hitters after the month of April, which was like the lowest batting average in many people's lifetimes uh, for Major League Baseball. Now we're starting to see the uptick in offense. We're seeing it with the White Sox. They are now figuring out a way to score five-plus runs where they had a terrible two-week stretch in June where they struggled to score three runs. So maybe Rob Manfred's going to get his wish, Ronnie, and we're going to start to see more offense across the league. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but you brought up Rob Manfred and the inconsistency <laughs> in the baseballs, and it's really my greatest pet peeve in the whole world of sports, Josh, that can can you imagine I in the NFL like one year all the quarterbacks reporting to camp and are like, you know, it's something's weird about these footballs this right. year. They don't feel the same as they did last year. And I remember, I think it was two thousand nine, the NBA switched basketballs. I don't, I don't, they, the, the 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 official basketball of the NBA had changed due due to some business partnership and. The basketballs were different. They felt different when guys showed up the next year. And literally overnight, the NBA restocked 
every basketball in the league to make sure that they were that they were up to the standard that these players had gotten used to. How in the world, with all the resources that Major League Baseball has at its fingertips, Josh, do we not have consistency year in and year out with the very thing that the sport is named after? That is a that is a fantastic question because they own Rowling. They Thank own you. the company that makes the baseball. Uh, what's even mind blowing is that the baseball is different in AAA than it does than it is in the major leagues. Oh. So if you call up a pitcher from AAA and they go on the mound for maybe let's say it's the first time it's their major league debut, they are holding a much different baseball than they are used to throwing in the minor leagues. And that's why I'm impressed when guys do throw well in their opening uh, start or their in their debut start in the major leagues. Uh, because you're working with a different baseball against a whole different caliber of hitters. And that's why so many guys, I think, fail right now in the major leagues. But it, it is mind-blowing. It, it is a big headache. I'm sure this will be a point of contention during the CBA talks as well, because this is where you got hitters and pitchers kind of pointing the fingers at each other. And ultimately, I think they're just going to stop and point those fingers back at the owners in the league and say, in this next CBA, you got to promise the quality of the baseball is going to remain the same for the next four to five years and not continue to change it on us. Because uh, I, I don't know why they manipulate the, the ball. It, it just, it just it drives me crazy. Gone, it it drives gone, me absolutely super, nuts. Yeah, we've gone from super bouncy ball to a dead ball to start the year. Now you ban substances, so pitchers can't use any adhesives or sticky stuff uh, to help generate more spin. And now I don't have confidence it's going to be the same baseball around me in the second half. I really don't. I don't put it past baseball to re-enter the super bouncy ball. Yeah, I don't blame you either. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were playing a different baseball in the second half of the season. The other Sox discussion I was having earlier on the show, talking with Josh Nelson of so- the Sox Machine podcast here on 670 The Score. Rami Makhlouf with you on a Monday afternoon. Yesterday when I saw the All-Star announcements and that it was Rodon, Lynn, and Hendricks for the White Sox, I went, man, who would have thought? It wasn't Abreu, it's not Anderson or Robert or Eloy or Giolito. It's Rodon, Lynn, and Hendricks. And it really got me to thinking about how the White Sox got here, the road that, they, that they've that they taken to be first place in the AL Central with a six-game lead on the Cleveland Indians. And it's it's a really, it's a really uh, unexpected path that they've taken to get here. And when I see that, my question is, how sustainable is what the White Sox are doing? That it's not the household names and the guys that you expected that, that expected to carry them here, but more the unsung heroes that have gotten them here. You wonder how long they can keep that up. Do you have Do you have that concern running through your head? Uh, I don't for Lance Lynn. I don't for Liam Hendricks because these guys have been proven to pitch at this level the last couple of years. Uh, Carlos Rodon, it's always injuries. Can he stay healthy? And this has been one of the greatest turnarounds I've ever seen of a White Sox player in my lifetime uh, because the dude could not get anyone out in game three in 2020. He was awful in Cleveland last year when the White Sox were trying to win the division. Uh, he was just not good in 2020. He wasn't hitting the same type of velocity that he's hitting today. He didn't have the same type of effectiveness on his slider like he has today. So all the credit in the world goes to Carlos Rodon after being non-tendered a contract. None of the other 29 teams wanted him. 
He came back, signed a $3 million deal, which was half of what he would have earned in arbitration. And the dude is an all-star. And his price tag, because he's a free agent after this season, is going way up. And I'm sure his agent, Scott Boris, is loving this right now. Uh, Carlos Ronan's made himself a lot of money. But for the second half of this season, I do think it is sustainable for the White Sox starting pitching. And I do think it's sustainable that Liam Hendricks will continue to be one of the top closers in the American League, if not all of Major League Baseball. What the White Sox are hoping is that reinforcements are coming in Eloy Jimenez and Luis Roberts sooner than later. Uh, Eloy Jimenez could be playing in rehab games in a couple of weeks before the trade deadline, which would be a huge boost for the White Sox uh, offensively. Can the offense help the starting pitching? Because if the starting pitching can keep high-powered offenses like Boston and Houston uh, in the postseason to four or five runs, which is still impressive because those are good offenses, can the White Sox offense go toe-to-toe against those high-powered teams? Today, no. But in August and September, if Jimenez and Robert come, and if Rick Hahn can add another bat before the trade deadline, then that answer might be yes. And that's where White Sox fans can get really excited. And instead of just setting their sights on, hey, let's win the American League Central, they can set their sights on trying to win the American League pennant. And 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 that's that's where I I sort of I have a question mark hanging over my head as, as to what is the next logical step with this baseball team because I, I'm the window is just opening, Josh, and I'm not sure yeah. that I, I want to push all my chips to the center of the table when the window is just opening, especially if it's going to be some kind of of rental at a position where they already have a guy they're just waiting to come back. I have about a minute for you to answer this question. Sorry to throw that yeah, at you. It, no, it, it is complicated, but what makes it really complicated is that Lance Flynn and Carlos Rodon are free agents after this season. You have Michael Kopech waiting in the wings. He can take one of their spots in 2022 and beyond, but you don't have another Michael Kopech to take if you lose out on both Rodon and Lynn. So this might be the best starting rotation the White Sox have in their contention window, which might force Rick Hahn to push in not all of his chips, but more chips into the middle than expected, because that, this might be their best chance of winning a, a World Series, uh, not knowing if Lynn and Rodon are going to be on the team next year and beyond. That's Josh Nelson. He is the host of the Sox Machine podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh and my guest for the last few minutes here on 670 The Score. If you see me shirtless again on, on Twitter, just, just avert your eyes. Just avert your eyes, Josh, all right? No problem. Fear the deer. Go Bucks. <laughs> there is Josh Nelson joining me on the Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. We'll talk about those Bucks and those Suns in the NBA Finals. Jim Ozarski of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, he's going to join me right after this. Rami Makhlouf with you on a Monday afternoon on 670 The Score. Robbie Mackloff with you on a Monday afternoon right here on 670 The Score. Hope you're all either still enjoying or recovering from your 4th of July weekends. I'm broadcasting from The Score Hyundai Studios, which is presented by your local Hyundai dealers. While I was talking to Josh Nelson, uh, more texts were coming in on the White Sox and on Lucas Giolito specifically. Going to talk with Jim Ozarski about the NBA Finals 
uh, of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel here in just a minute. But this from the 815, what you could see next by pictures is called siping, much like snow tires and boat shoes make very small slits on their fingers and thumbs that heal. And I guess that would help them put more spin on the ball. That'd be going a long ways. <laughs> To put more spin on the baseball, cutting slits in your finger. But hey, man, we're talking about millions of dollars and World Series titles on the line. I wouldn't be surprised, not one bit. This from the 708 says Garrett Cole was struggling before the ban. And that is, that's very true. And that that's why I don't know. I don't, and I'm saying, I don't know how to handle all of this when, when we're talking about what essentially is a new era in Major League Baseball, this is this is very much like after the steroids era in baseball, where any any time anybody in in that in that time, right after Major League Baseball cracked down on PEDs, who who saw an offensive dip in their production, we were all going, hmm, wonder what that guy was doing before this, and that wasn't always fair. It's it's baseball is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Sorry to get all cliche on you, and over the course of that. There are going to be dips, there are going to be peaks, and there are going to be valleys, and guys' production is just not going to be consistent over the course of the season. So while I'm sure, because they said 80-90% of, of pitchers were using some sort of banned sticky substance leading up to this crackdown, I, I'm sure a lot of this is due to the crackdown. A lot, and when when we're talking about the the decrease in spin rate and RPMs, when we're talking about a a step back in terms of traditional production, when you look at a guy's ERA or whatever it is you're measuring a pitcher by now in in 2021, a lot of it, yes, probably is the crackdown on sticky stuff, and and we're seeing guys who had an unfair advantage before who lost that unfair advantage suddenly. But I, do we do that with every guy? Not just Lucas Giolito, but like like the texter just said, Garrett Cole, who's one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Before we even heard about any sort of crackdown, he was he was struggling a little bit. By the way, uh, Adam, we're not we're not going to get uh, Jim Ozarski on. He just texted me, said, "Sorry, man, I got a bail. I'm getting pulled in another direction by Arena Security and the NBA." So we will not be talking with Jim Ozarski about the NBA Finals of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. But I I, okay, I can talk I, I can talk a little bit about those uh, NBA Finals, Adam. Uh, did you see Did you see uh, my Twitter timeline at all? What Josh Nelson was referring to. That went down on Saturday I, night here. I did in, not. In Milwaukee. I did not. But that's like as the <laughs> aforementioned wedding I was at. I was not on social media like at okay. all most of Saturday. So no, I did not. Right. I'm, I'm looking through it right now though. I'm gonna find it. It's uh, it's not a pretty picture, man. Oh yeah, but here we go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, y- you try. <laughs> <laughs> you just saw it, huh? Is that me? Me with my shirt off? Is that funny to you? Huh, oh, Adam? all the memes <laughs> that like the roller coaster one. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was some good yeah. there was some good content to come out of that. I I challenge anybody, anybody to come up here to the Deer District man and not get caught up in in the hysteria that is going on out there during during Bucks game. I don't care who you're a fan of. And I'll be I'll be honest with you, 
Adam and the rest of the listening audience in Chicago at 670 the score. Like I'm born I'm born and raised Chicago. I I bleed Chicago diehard Cubs, Bears, Bulls fan. It's it, it it's it's in my DNA, all right? It is woven into me. And the Bulls are still my team, dude, but uh the Bucks they are they they're they're uh they're my side piece, Adam, and it is a torrid, passionate love affair. I hey, really I, I get uh, it, man. I get I'm it. really I'm really feeling it with this team. I, and especially out there in the Deer District. It is I, some scene that they got out there. I, I, I think we all have that that side team that we get crazy about, even though I mean you have a real like actual reason you know, being in Milwaukee and living in in it, in the whole right. hysteria right now. But I have a love affair with the Jacksonville Jaguars that I don't really know how to explain other than it's a really bad <laughs> joke from say, college that got way out of how? control. Why so, and how, Adam? So my, my, my friends and me in college, so when I was in college, the Jags were, you know, the worst team in the league. Sure. And yeah. we, we just started this running joke about how, oh yeah, we're Jags fans. Like this is a Jags fan house, blah, blah, blah. We said it so much <laughs> that we actually became Jags fans. And now we legitimately root for the team. Like when they made that run in the playoffs a few years ago, I had people, I had friends from college come over and watch the game every week. <laughs> and and like, I was actually a little devastated when they lost in the AFC championship. I was like, I, I don't know why I feel so devastated. Like, I didn't know I cared this much. <laughs> oh yeah, if if the Bucks don't finish the job here, man, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be devastated. And I didn't think I'd ever be devastated by by any team outside of Chicago. And I didn't think I'd ever achieve the highs that 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 I've reached in in rooting for and following this. I'm glad you said that because I wasn't sure if I was like a buddy of mine texted me yesterday. He was like, man, you're going real hard on this buck stuff. You still a bulls guy. And, and I, I texted him the same thing that I just said to you. Like, yeah, the bulls are still my main squeeze, dude. It's just, they, they, and I'll go back to them as soon as they give me, I'll go back home. As soon as the bulls give me a good reason <laughs> to go back home. You know what I mean? Like it's just, they, the bulls have been very, very bad to me for a long time. And the bucks have been very, very good to me for a long time. And I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if that, if that rubs people the wrong way in Chicago or not, but I can't help it. And like I said, I would challenge anyone, no matter what team you root for to come up here, go in that, get, get in that deer district during a playoff game, get in the middle of that hysteria and that insanity, and I guarantee you, you're probably wearing a Bucks shirt by the end. You don't even know where it came from, but you're probably wearing a Bucks shirt or a Bucks hat or, like me, no shirt by the end of your night. But try to keep a shirt on and, and make it a – I'm telling you, man, it's a fun team. And, Adam, I haven't lived in Chicago in a while, but the only thing that I could kind of compare it to, what they got going on in the Deer Disc, because – Think about this. The arena fits about 17,000 people. And then the the Deer District itself fits about 15,000 on a normal day. But for the playoffs, they've expanded it and put more big screens around the Deer District. So they they have a 25,000-person capacity on game nights outside the stadium. And if it's a home game, another 17,000 in the stadium. So you're talking about 40,000. And between the bars and the restaurants that that are surrounding the Deer District, somewhere between forty and fifty thousand people all converging on like a four square mile uh, portion in downtown Milwaukee, and it is just 
the biggest party that you've ever seen. I had the uh, the Bucks chief marketing officer on on my show last week, and I said, "Dude, what you guys have created out there, it's like it's like a combination of a sporting event and a music fest. It is, and everything that goes into a music fest, including all the uh, the aromas and and clouds that may that may come out of a music fest. It is." insanity and the only thing I can kind of compare it to is when the Cubs are real real good Adam like when there are playoff runs and World Series games going on and people just gather outside the walls of Wrigley without even anything to do or to watch up there I guess they did put up some TV screens and other monitors uh, when they were in the World Series but just just everyone who's a fan of that team in that city converging on one small part of the city, it's 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 insane and it's impossible not to get caught up in, man. It is a crazy, crazy good thing that they've built out here. It does sound pretty phenomenal. I'll have to it, try to check. I, I doubt I'm able to do it for the, the finals here, but like I that does sound like something I'm interested in. And 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 you know, like I said, like I I'm not a huge like NBA fan. I mean, obviously, you know, sure. we have the Bulls on the score here, so I, of course sure. I know what's going on with the team, but I've never been like an, an overly big NBA guy. So my, my loyalty is, is I'm not saying I'm going to leave the bulls. I like, I guess they're my favorite NBA team, but I mean, I'm willing to be swooned by others, if you will. And, and this'll do it. I'm telling I'm telling you, this'll do it, man. It is, it is. A cr- and I'm, 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 I'm happy. I'm standing today. It was that, it was that type of night, man. And really, I'm glad more than anything that my voice is functioning today because I was in the Deer District where they knocked off the Nets a couple weeks ago, and I did a shift on the score the next day and then had a full week of shows up here in Milwaukee starting on Monday. And man, by Friday, multiple people throughout the week, including Cody Decker, who you'll hear tonight right here on 670 The Score before Cubs baseball after Ant Heron, who takes over for me at 3 o'clock. Multiple people, including Cody Adams, said I sounded like Bobcat Goldthwait that entire that's, week. That's so <laughs> This time, I, I, res- I restrained myself from screaming until the second half, and then uh, alcohol and excitement won over, and then I screamed my brains out for the entire second half. But here I sit full-voiced, and ready to go with you until 3 o'clock on 670 The Score. As I said, Ant Heron takes over for me at that time, and then it's Cody Decker, and then it's Cubs baseball. All that coming up on Chicago's Sports Talk Radio Station, AM 670 The Score. Robbie Makloff with you on 670 The Score, Chicago Sports Station, as you heard Big Voice Guy say there. Ant Heron coming up at 3 o'clock. He's followed by Cody Decker, which takes you right up to Cubs baseball. I saw Ant tweet uh, during the break, jam-packed show. He'll have uh, Corey Provis, Lewis Johnson, and he's got his 10 most combustible Chicago athletes of this century for 4th of July weekend. Get it? Combustible because fireworks combust i've never I, I don't know about you adam i'm never clever like that i always look back after the fact i'm like oh i should have done something fourth of july rated shouldn't i, I should have done something cute and tied in fourth of july somehow but that's just i th- i'm I, that's never where my mind is at does, does your brain work like that because mine very much does not sometimes it does like if okay. we were you know we did a show yesterday i would have said, oh, yeah absolutely let's do some fourth of july related stuff but i mean like i know that the 
Like what? The, the, what would have been a good? Like, people are pretty much recognizing like the, the, today is like kind of the 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 company recognized holiday. I know, but uh, you know, I mean, it's that was yesterday, and and I we're looking forward today. Looking forward. Like what? What could we have? Do? Let's let's not steal Ann's topic. What could we have done? Fourth of July related, like tying in fireworks. Like I I don't even know. Like what 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 athlete has provided the most fireworks for see, this is how bad I am at this, Adam. I can't even come up with something right now. It I just don't even doesn't... think we had to tie we didn't have to tie in sports. I mean, we could have just done straight up like best fourth of July themed movie movies, which of course Independence Day is number one. And then you know, we can't. Yeah, that's true. Grody and Rosenblum spent half an hour talking about their favorite Classic rock concerts. We don't have yeah, to keep exactly. this. Yeah, we don't yeah. have to keep this sports related at all, really. But uh, I'll I'll go back to sports for the final few minutes of the show. I I don't know if this if this dead horse has been beaten or not, but uh, I I haven't been on the air since it seems things have have gotten serious in terms of the Bears potentially moving out of Soldier Field and and out to the site of Arlington Racetrack. In Arlington Heights, Illinois, and I was reading Chris Emma's piece at 670 The Score yesterday talking about what the financial penalties would be for the Bears leaving Soldier Field, which uh, starting in 2026 would be $84 million that they'd have to pay out for skipping out on the lease early that runs until 2033. And then after that, it's 74 million in 2027, 63.8 million in 2028, and it goes down every year until if and when they waited until 2032, it would be about 11 million dollars a penalty that they'd have to pay for for skipping out on that lease early. And Chris says, and I've seen others in the Chicago sports media landscape say that that is not a price tag that would prevent the Bears from moving to Arlington Heights and, and the former site of Arlington Racetrack if that is indeed what they decide that they want to do. And I don't know where most people land on this. I don't know I don't know how y'all feel about the prospect of the Chicago Bears not actually playing in Chicago. Feel free to chime in. Still plenty of time for you to get in on a Monday afternoon with Rami Makloff at 312-644-6767. That's the number if you want to give me a call or drop a text in the Rosen Hyundai text line, but I really I don't I don't care all that much if they did do it. I, I, don't get me wrong, I'd prefer that they stay in in the confines of Chicago, that that would be great. I love Chicago. I hope to one day move back to Chicago myself and live there full time. And right there in the city, not, I'm not a suburbs guy. I like city life. I like going into the city for big sporting events. I love driving into Wrigleyville for, for a Cubs game at Wrigley Field. I like going down to the south side for a Sox game at Guaranteed Rate Field. I like driving down Lakeshore Drive to go to a Bears game at Soldier Field. I enjoy I it. I, I, you don't, Adam. It's terrible to get to. It, the traffic I, is awful. Like I like driving on Lakeshore Drive when there's not a ton of traffic. I think it's you know it's great view of the lake and yeah. and the skyline, all that. But it's terrible if you're going to a Bears game because the traffic is bad. Even if you like, okay, so like where I'm at right now in the Prudential Building downtown is, it's I typically if I'm going to a Bears game and it's a night game and I'm here on Sunday, I'll just walk from here. It's about a mile or so, maybe a little yeah. over. Even that kind of sucks. Like it, it's, <laughs> it, you know, it, there's no good way to get there without dealing. I mean, obviously, there's no matter where you're going to have to deal with the thousands of people, but there's just no good way in and out of there. And I feel like I 
I understand that like, like Soldier Field has, you know, it's got the historic homes. They've been yeah. there forever. I get that like, if they all the Chicago sports teams actually play in the city, and I think that uh, some fans really like that. I, it, who cares? They don't have to like. It's not a big. So you're deal. with me that it's not. It's not a big deal if they did move outside the confines. Of I Chicago. think it makes you all the sense in the world. Yeah, and I at, think. I think they should have done. Should have done this a long time ago. Adam, you're you're right about Soldier Field. I I understand the history that that is there. I understand. I, I understand everything. I understand the 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 fact that it's a monument and a tribute to to fallen soldiers and veterans of war for this country. And and I've I've had some great some great moments at Soldier Field, man. It, it, in a sentimental way, it it does hold a special place in my heart, and I think it does. For a lot of Bears fans, but let, let's go back to where we started this 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 show this afternoon and talking about the Chicago Cubs and and trying to remove the sentimentality from how you feel about those guys, that core of guys that brought home a World Series for Cubs fans five years ago, and 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 that I I would irrationally probably give them all lifetime contracts irrationally. I would love if the Bears could stay within the the confines of Chicago and if Soldier Field could could be their home forever. But let's be real about what it is. Let's remove the sentimentality from it for a second and the the actual football stadium itself for by NFL standards is kind of an embarrassment, man. I hate to put it that way, but the 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 notion that Chicago, the third largest market in the entire country, has the third smallest capacity in the excuse me second smallest capacity in the NFL with with a max of 61,500 just doesn't it doesn't make sense man and and you look at the condition of that field on a week to week basis and if they had a college game or a soccer game or a battle of the bands during the week leading up to to a bears game at soldier field and that sod is just tore the hell up, man. It's not up to standards for NFL players to go out there and risk their 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 joints and limbs trying to run on a field that's just not up to the standard that we see around the rest of this league. And at the end of the day, while I, for sentimental reasons, would like the Chicago Bears to stay in Chicago or even at Soldier Field, if you could make it work somehow. For for practical reasons, the the tax money and the revenue for all the businesses around a stadium, I, I would like that money to stay right there in the city. But again, some some pretty hefty uh, penalties if, if the Bears do leave early going into the pockets of the city of Chicago, starting with around $84 million if they leave by 2026, which they say is the earliest that the Bears could have a new stadium up and running in Arlington Heights or anywhere else. At the end of the day, when I go to a game, any any game or any event, here's what I want to know. Adam was talking about this a second ago. What's the commute like? Is it going to be not easy? It's never going to be easy when you have that many people converging on one on one location. But is it going to be relatively easy for me to get in and out? Can I find parking? Is it going to be affordable? What's the game day experience going to be like? Can't is 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 the facility up to a standard? that that is that that shows Chicago well and 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 is up to the standard of what Chicago should be as the third largest market in the country and the fourth largest market in the NFL it, does it does it meet the standard and the bar that we should be setting as a city of this size and does it does it provide the bears 
an opportunity through the revenue that comes through a stadium to be competitive with the rest of the league. And when I say that, I don't just mean putting together a roster and and spending the money on personnel, but on infrastructure, on on the buildings that these guys go and train in, on the buildings that that Bears employees go and work in, on all the all the resources that go into scouting and and the staff that goes into scouting and coaching. I want the Bears to have everything state of the art at the top of their game and the reality is when you're playing in a stadium that has the second smallest capacity in the league that's just not all that realistic for the bears to do that it you're right adam it makes total sense for the bears to move out of soldier field and if it's not going to be soldier field like is there a huge I, I, I would like him to stay in the city but is there a big empty plot of land somewhere that the bears can 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 raise or tear things down and build another stadium I just I don't I don't I don't see it if it's not going to be Soldier Field given the layout of of the the modern city of Chicago in 2021 I don't see where else you can put a stadium and so it's probably going to have to be a suburb like in Arlington Heights or somewhere out there Yeah there's not really anywhere in the city that I could think of for them to realistically build a stadium without, you know, tearing up neighborhoods. I I mean, like, look, if they want to, I don't think it would be dumb if you're the bears to, even if they have to break the lease or if they want to stay through their lease before they go to a different stadium, whatever. I don't know why you would renew that lease when you have this opportunity somewhere else to expand, to build a better stadium, because you can't really expand the stadium where it's at, considering what's around the field. You got museums, you got music venue, you got a music venue out there too. Like it's, you can't, if you do expand and you're expanding into the parking lot and there's already not enough parking for the damn stadium. So like you, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to stay there. Because imagine, like, they, there's no reason the Chicago Bears shouldn't have at least an 80,000-person stadium. Like, at least. Yeah. That should be the bare minimum for any NFL stadium, really, especially in the third largest market in the country. So if you move to Arlington Heights and that huge space out there, I think just the infield at Arlington Park, I was talking about this with a buddy, I think just the infield is already, like, as big as is already like bigger than the footprint of soldier field right now. So you have so much potential out there and you can build up the, the the area around it and create this huge atmosphere. Like I think the bears do do a good job of the actual game day atmosphere. Like like being in the stadium is fun. The fans get into the game. So like bears fans just in general, especially if the team's good, like the vibe is really is, is awesome. But the stadium itself is eh, eh, like it's, I give or take, you know. And from the outside, after the renovations, it's it's kind of an eyesore, man. And I don't know if this was a realistic possibility, but when they did those renovations, maybe they should have just tore the whole thing down and started from scratch. I don't I don't, I don't know if, if that's going to offend or upset or insult some people, but that's that's probably what should have been done way back when, and it's probably about due time for the Bears to to go ahead and find a new home. My thanks to Evan Altman of Cubs Insider for joining me, Josh Nelson, host of the Sox Machine podcast, and Jim Ozarski of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, even though he couldn't join me. Jim's a good guy, and I know if he could have, 
he would have. Also, thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks to Adam Studzinski for producing up a fine, fine show for me this afternoon. Ant Heron coming up, and he'll be followed by Cody Decker, and Cody is followed by Chicago Cubs baseball. All that still to come right here on Chicago Sports Talk Radio Station AM 670 to score. Rami Makhlouf saying thanks for listening. <laughs>